Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. I already know what's going to happen. I already know who will get to Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. I already know who will be there. And so does every other NFL fan from here to Spokane. This is part two of our Return to Football podcast episode here at Historically Speaking Sports. As I come to you from the Bill King Memorial Studios here in suburban Atlanta in the shadow of Stone Mountain. I know who will be in the Super Bowl, and I know who will be this year's league MVP. And I know who will be the offensive and defensive rookie of the year. I already know this. These predictions are surely to go wrong. And I will share them with you in our main event coming up. Welcome back. And if you're new here, welcome to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast here on the Sports History Network. The NFL season is here, and boy, it could not have come at a better time. The Kansas City Chiefs are the defending Super Bowl champions, and I do not have them repeating as Super Bowl champions. Or, the question should be, do I have someone else winning the whole thing in Las Vegas on February 11th? In our main event, I will appear into my crystal ball to determine... What each team's win-loss record will be at the end of the season and who will raise the Lombardi Trophy on the second Sunday in February. And to conclude the show, we will send send out a shout-out to a franchise that no longer exists, yet only in the memory. They were one of the most impressive teams ever in pro football. So good, in fact. They won the league title in their very first season of existence. Yet, when you mention this team's name, The first images that fans of a certain age will remember about this team is a hard-running, bruising power running back, two flamboyant head coaches, and two of the most painful NFL postseason losses ever. One of those, in fact, were so memorable and so controversial, not only did it change the course of the history of the league, but it also changed the rules 10 years after it happened. All of that is coming up and so much more right here on this Football edition. This welcome back to football editions, I, I should say, of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, where we put a historical spin on current sports headlines. Once again, you are listening to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, a member of the Sports History Network. The Pigskin Tales Podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the sports yesteryear. Hosted by Ross Bliley. The Pigskin Tales podcast takes you on a journey through life of pro football stars such as Ernie Nevers, Red Grange, and Fran Tarkenton. 
Plus, you might not know them real well, but you can hear stories about Bill Brown, Grady Alderman, and Dave Osborne. You can learn more on these players at sportshistorynetwork.com backslash podcasts backslash pigskin dash tales. Hello, welcome back to the program. I'm Dana Augusta, your host for this Welcome back to football edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, a member of the Sports History Network. And just a reminder, if you happen to like what you hear here and you would like to hear more, please don't hesitate to subscribe to this podcast. And also, you could drop us a line right here at historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com. And you could also follow us on Twitter or X at historically sp2 now now that the football season is upon us many people like myself want to predict who will reach super bowl 58 in las vegas on the night of february 11th now we all make these predictions but i go a little bit further in depth in this since around uh, 2006 2007 me and a buddy of mine will go through the entire nfl schedule and predict who wins each game and Based off of our predictions, we go through the playoffs and eventual Super Bowl. And since then, I'm very proud to say I have accurately predicted the Super Bowl winning team once. In 2009, for a Super Bowl 44, I predicted that the New Orleans Saints would win the Super Bowl. However, I also predicted for that Super Bowl in Miami, it would be a black and gold Super Bowl, which I had the Saints beating the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were the defending Super Bowl champs at the time. Look, at least I got one. I had the right team winning the whole thing, okay? At least give me that. So this year, once again, I went through the whole schedule and determined the two teams that were meet up on the night of, and of all days, my wife's birthday. Wish me luck on that one. So... With that said, I will go team by team predicting their records and a short synopsis of how their season will go and what I'm expecting in which all of these predictions absolutely will certainly go wrong. Now, we will start in the NFC East where the Philadelphia Eagles who come into this season as the defending NFC champs are favored to win to return to the Super Bowl at least from the NFC. And with quarterback Jalen Hurts, they will definitely would look the part of a favorite and not only will they win the nfc east championship i predict them to have the first round by and win the nfc home field advantage with a record of 14 and 3 finishing in the second in that division will be the dallas cowboys with a mark of 11 and 6 all eyes are on quarterback Dak prescott whether he could protect the ball or not and coach mike mccarthy who could make key play calling decisions in key moments of games and with a great defense that that Dallas would definitely bounce back to the postseason this year but will it be enough to satisfy the insatiable and arrogant Dallas Cowboy fans across the country as well as their owner third will be the New York Giants finishing 10 and 7 and returning to the playoffs for the second straight year with quarterback Daniel Jones and running back Saquon Barkley providing star Barkley could stay healthy and rounding out the East, of course, the Commanders with their new owner and new offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. Washington will finish 6-11, but you kind of can sense that things are changing for the better in the nation's capital. After all, Dan Snyder is no longer calling the shots there. 
and that's at least a start. Over in the NFC North, the division champs will be, drum roll please, the Detroit Lions. I guess someone has to win that division, huh? Led by head coach Dan Campbell, more on him later, and quarterback Jared Goff, the Lions will finish with a record of 11-6 and will restore the roar in the Motor City and claim their first division title in 30 years. They are the post the preseason, I should say, the preseason darlings of the NFC. And I feel that they will give Lions fans a season that they won't soon forget. Finishing second will be the NFL Enigma team in the Minnesota Vikings. This team is so hard to figure out. Last season, they won so many close games that you would think that the law of averages would catch up. Well, may not be this year, and Kirk Cousins may be a solid leader for the Vikings. I think. Finishing behind the Vikings will be the quote-unquote much-improved Chicago Bears and quarterback Justin Fields. The Bears finally are getting some offensive weapons around Fields, but there's much more work to be done as they will finish 7-10. The Bears are the classic team that is a year away from being a year away. And finally, there are the Green Bay Packers as they venture into year 1 AR after Rodgers. Jordan Love, the supposed heir apparent, will finally get his chance. There will be some growing pains as, as the Packers will mostly struggle with a 6-11 record. On to the NFC South, where this is the most wide open division in the NFC. And that may not be a good thing. The New Orleans Saints winning the division with an 11-6 record. Another division where someone has to win it. And I have the Saints winning it. It is always hard to be the man after the man. And Jameis Winston was not it in the Big Easy. Maybe it's new quarterback Derek Carr, and he will find playing in New Orleans may be a little bit easier than playing in Vegas. Next, the NFC's surprise team of the year, the Carolina Panthers. With one, with the number one overall pick, Bryce Young, the Panthers will take a major step forward in the division, finishing with an 8-9 record. Now, I know they may have some questions about their offensive line, but I steadily see improvement coming in Charlotte as the season progresses. Third, the Atlanta Falcons. I have them one game behind the Panthers at 7-10. It is still a work in progress in Atlanta with quarterback Desmond, don't call me John, Ritter. But things are looking up for the Falcons, especially with running back B. John Robinson. Finally, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And oh, how the mighty have fallen. This could be said in a couple of instances about the team and their opening day starter, Baker Mayfield. The Bucks, who were serious Super Bowl contenders a season ago, have fallen and fallen hard. I have them at the bottom of the NFC South with a 5-12 record. And well, to foreshadow here, at least they're not the Cardinals. And to round out the NFC in the West, the class of that division will be the San Francisco 49ers. And I am so torn with this team. I have them going 11-6 with offensive wizardry of head coach Kyle Shanahan. And NFL's feel-good story from a year ago, quarterback Brock Purdy. And maybe one of the best defenses in the NFL to boot. Yet, I feel that the loss of defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans may hurt a little. But the Niners are by far the class of the NFC West. Next will be the Seahawks with a record of 8-9. and nine. And I think that this record may be a little generous. After all, Seattle, led by Geno Smith, can be up or down. This team is like the Vikings, so hard to figure out, even from week to week. But I have them one game under 500, and even that can go either way. But then again, they are in Seattle, which seems like they should be better off maybe in Siberia. 
Yet the one thing that I am definitely sure about in this division is the last two teams, and that is the Rams and the Cardinals. If the preseason is any indication, these two teams will struggle mightily. The Rams, who put all their chips in the center of the table a couple of years ago for a Super Bowl title, now has to pay the bill, and this season will be it. For the Rams, a 5-12 mark will be theirs for 2023, but I fear they will not be as bad as the Arizona Cardinals. Their fans, instead of seeing a, being a sea of red, will simply be seeing red during the season, and I have the Redbirds scoring an NFL worst 2-15. And, and I even think that's generous. Coming up as we continue part two of our Welcome Back to Football edition with predictions certainly to go wrong, we'll take a look at the stacked AFC. Who will come out of that competitive conference, or better yet, who will survive? And also, we will run down the entire postseason and who I believe will be hoisting up the Lombardi Trophy in February. That's next, and this is the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, a member of the Sports History Network. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network. The soundtrack is provided by Raphael Crux from filmmusic.io. Hello, welcome back to this predictions that will certainly go wrong edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. We just did our predictions for the NFC and now looking to the AFC where the Kansas City Chiefs led by Pat Mahomes are Super Bowl champs and are looking to go back to back. But in this highly competitive conference, the road to Las Vegas is far more daunting and treacherous than the NFC. Starting in the AFC East, where I have the Buffalo Bills not only winning the division, but their 13-4 record will be just good enough to have home field advantage in the AFC playoffs. The Bills, for most of the offseason, have been almost ignored because of the whole Aaron Rodgers signing in New York, which we will get to in a minute. The Bills are quietly and consistently building a championship-caliber team that could, that could dethrone the Chiefs and finally win a Super Bowl for Bills Mafia. Next, the aforementioned New York Jets, which would be led by Aaron Rodgers. The Jets were proclaimed the quote-unquote off-season Super Bowl champs, but I think they're still somewhat a work in progress. 
They will get double digit and double digits in wins going 10 and 7, but would that be enough to get into the postseason in a highly competitive AFC? We'll soon find out. Next, the Miami Dolphins. Finishing, they will finish a game behind the Jets with a record of 10 and 8. The question on South Beach could Tua Tagovailoa stay healthy to utilize those receivers that potentially could be this generation's Marks brothers in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle? Rounding out the division will be the New England Patriots with a record of 6 and 11. Bold prediction here this will be the final season for head coach Bill Belichick. Now, moving on to the ultra-competitive AFC North. The team that wins this division may either have an inside track to the Super Bowl or lose in the first round because how beat up they will be when the playoffs start. This year, I have the Cincinnati Bengals with Joe Burrow winning the division with an 11-6 record, followed by the surprising Pittsburgh Steelers at 10-7, and, and the third-place Baltimore Ravens also at 10-7. This division is slowly becoming in becoming what the AFC East was back in the 1980s and 90s. These teams would basically beat each other up, yet these matchups will most likely see this would be great matchups, I guarantee you, anytime they play each other. And this would definitely be musty TV whenever they play. And even though I have the Cleveland Browns finishing 7-10, they will also be right in the mix during the season. Moving on to the AFC South, Jacksonville will claim the division title with a mark of 11-6, and, and to be honest, I'm not really that confident in that pick. Yeah, they have the Super Bowl winning coach in Doug Peterson, and a Super Bowl caliber quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, but I question the weak offensive line the Jags have and an even weaker defense, and they will have to depend on Lawrence's arm and the play calling of Doug Peterson to win games. Not a good combination to win in the AFC. Following the Jags in the standings will be Tennessee at 9 and 8. Sorry, Jeremy. It is not a good thing to have a quarterback that will be constantly looking over his shoulder for the whole year. And that is what Ryan Tannehill will be doing. Yeah, he does have Derrick Henry running the ball still, but the Titans was ranked 30th in total offense, and rookie Will Levis may see some time if Tannehill struggles, or as he so often does, gets injured. Next, the much improved Houston Texans. Head coach and former Texan D'Amico Ryans had breathed some life into this franchise and much needed spirit, who not long ago were a serious Super Bowl contender. Yet the team has fallen on hard times. This year, they may begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel as I have them finishing 7-10. Then there is the mess that is the Indianapolis Colts. They're depending more and more on unproven quarterback Anthony Richardson, and he will either be without the services or have the services of a disgruntled running back, Jonathan Taylor. The Colts, who was once the central power in the AFC during the Peyton Manning era, is now just a shell of itself. I have them going 5-12 in this stacked AFC, and even that record at 5-12, I'm not very confident in that. And then if finally in the AFC West, where the Kansas City Chiefs have ruled this division since Andy Reid's partnership with Pat Mahomes. Now, I also have them finishing 13-4, tied with the conference-leading Buffalo Bills. Yet, the Bills, I believe, will have the tiebreaker over the Chiefs thanks to a Bills win over the Chiefs on December the 10th. 
I think the Chiefs will once again win the division with the wizardry of Mahomes and the offensive mastermind of Andy Reid. Yet finishing behind them will be the growing power of the AFC and that of the AFC, a team that the national media I feel has somewhat forgotten about, the LA Chargers. The Chargers over the last several years have been the most snake bit team in the NFL. Most recently, blowing a 27-0 lead in the playoffs last year to the Jaguars in Jacksonville. This year, with new offensive coordinator Kellen Moore, the offensive the offense promises to be far more explosive and a defense more stout, provided someone stays if everyone stays healthy. And that's a big question because we are indeed talking about the Chargers. LA will finish one game behind the Chiefs at 12-5 and, and will enter the playoffs being proclaimed as the team no one wants to face. To round out the division will be the Denver Broncos at 9-8. Denver will show some improvement with the new hot coach-quarterback combination of Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. Yet, will it be good enough for a playoff spot? And lastly, the Las Vegas Raiders. I have them going 6-11, which will somewhat be a mild disappointment for the Silver and Black with the offensive signing of Jimmy Garoppolo. But they are still the Raiders, who are still trying to find themselves in Sin City. And now on to the playoffs. And I foresee... The playoffs going something like this. Now remember, these are indeed predictions that will certainly go wrong. Over in the NFC, the wildcard weekend will go as follows. The San Francisco 49ers will knock off the New York Giants in a rematch from last year's divisional round game, winning in a low-scoring defensive slugfest 17-14 in overtime. Next, they will be celebrating in the streets of Detroit as the Lions will beat division rival Minnesota at the first ever postseason game ever held at Ford Field, 27-13 for their first postseason win since 1991. And finally, the Dallas Cowboys will defeat the New Orleans Saints in the Superdome 31-20 as the so-called experts will immediately place the Cowboys in the Super Bowl. Over in the AFC, the Baltimore Ravens, who I feel have been the Rodney Dangerfield of the offseason because they get no respect, will pull off the biggest upset of the postseason as they will defeat the Kansas City Chiefs 30-24 at Arrowhead in what would be Lamar Jackson's signature performance of his career. Later, the Bengals would defeat division rival Pittsburgh in a physical dogfight 17-7 in Cincinnati and to round out the AFC wildcard weekend, the Chargers, returning to the scene of the crime, will avenge their loss to the Jags in last year's playoffs, beating the Jaguars 35-20 to advance to the divisional round. Next, in the divisional round, in the NFC, the Eagles, after their playoff bye week, being well-rested, will outlast the Dallas Cowboys 38-24 to reach the NFC Championship game. And their opponents in that game? The San Francisco 49ers. The Niners will knock off the Detroit Lions and end their dream book season. 30-24 to stage a rematch of last, year, last season's AFC, NFC Championship game once again in Philly. In the AFC, the Chargers will attempt to navigate the wind and impossible winter conditions of Buffalo, and they will not succeed. 
The Bills, being well-rested, will defeat the Chargers in a thrilling 24-20 contest to reach the AFC Championship game where they will face the red-hot Baltimore Ravens as they will beat the Cincinnati Bengals in the Queen City 31-17. In the AFC title game, Josh Allen of the Bills will outthrow and, believe it or not, outrun Lamar Jackson and advance to the Super Bowl beating the Ravens 34-20 while over in the NFC, Brock Purdy will have the 49ers in the Super Bowl by upsetting the Eagles at Lincoln Financial Field 34-21 and head to Vegas for Super Bowl 58. In the Super Bowl between the Bills and the 49ers which will make Chris Berman blush, it will be a long time coming for the Buffalo Bills as they will finally lift the Super Bowl trophy by beating the 49ers 30-23 as Josh Allen will not only win Super Bowl MVP but also the night before will be seated, will be voted season most valuable player. I also have Falcon running back Bijan Robinson and Bryce Young as co-offensive rookies of the year and Texans linebacker Will Anderson Jr. as the defensive rookie of the year and to round out the postseason award, individual postseason awards in the NFL, Coach Dan Campbell, Mr. Biting Kneecaps himself, of the Detroit Lions will be named the NFL Coach of the Year to round out the postseason awards. Now, one quick postscript to all of these predictions. Remember when I mentioned that the Super Bowl was being held on the same day as my wife's birthday? Well, once I found that out, I said to myself, this of all years would be the year the Chargers reached the Super Bowl on my wife's birthday and I may have to miss it. Yep, that would be just my luck. Coming up next and to finish up the show we will send a shout out to a team that was one of the most successful teams in pro football for the longest time. Yet this team, that is no longer around, is connected to two of the most heartbreaking losses in NFL postseason history. And one of them not only changed the course of the league, but nearly a decade after it happened, it changed the rules. That story coming up next. You are listening to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, a member of the Sports History Network. At the Sports History Network, we're all about the sports yesteryear, and so we're pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings sports history to life. The Row One Gallery features over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, and advertisements in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. Any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. It's your choice. In the Row 1 shop, you can pick from thousands of unique items that feature retro and historical backgrounds dating back to 1876. We have everything from clothing to phone cases to mugs, even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row1 for access to the full Row 1 catalog. When you buy from the gallery today, you can instantly save 15% on your purchase. 
All you have to do is enter the code SHN15 and your discount will be applied. That's SHN15. That's it. Simple. Save 15% off all your prints in the Row 1 Gallery. Just go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row1. And don't forget to check out all the podcasts on the Sports History Network. Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the program. And right now, this is the final segment of the show, which I like to call the shout out. And this is where I send a shout out to a particular athlete or event of some consequence that happened during the course of sports history. In this episode, we'll send a shout out to a team that for its entire history was beloved. So beloved, in fact, that songs were written about them, such as this one. It has now been close to 30 years since owner and team founder Bud Adams moved the team out of Southeast Texas to greener pastures in Tennessee. First at the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, then another temporary home at Commodore Stadium before they realized they couldn't sell beer there because the stadium was on a college campus. Then finally their current home, Nissan Stadium in Nashville. However, prior to their move to the Volunteer State in 1997, the Oilers, the first team to settle in the city of Houston, and the only one prior to 1994 to win the league championship, was the most beloved and most followed pro sports franchise in Texas. Now, in the beginning, they were even more beloved than their northern rivals from the Metroplex. Houston, at the time of the Oilers' founding in 1950s, was known as a tough blue-collar oil town that, unlike Dallas, looked to the northeast as a template for how a big city should be. In the words of Houston area native and newsman Dan Rather, quote, Houston doesn't look for, for approval from any damn person, unquote. The love for this team still runs deep. Here's an example. In the University of Houston season opening game last weekend against Texas San Antonio, the Cougars donned uniforms that was very similar to the Columbia Blue and Scarlet of the Oilers from the 80s and 90s. And from the beginning, the Oilers, supporting the famous oil derrick on the sides of their helmets, was a power in the American Football League. Bud Adams, along with Dallas Texans owner Lamar Hunt, who founded the league, were two football mavericks based in Texas, and they were looking to get into the foot into football action as the game was growing exponentially in popularity. The Oilers were an, emerg- were an original power in the American Football League, playing in the first three title games representing the league's Eastern Conference, winning the first two in 1960 and 61 over the Los Angeles then San Diego Chargers. Then in 1962, losing in double overtime to the Dallas Texans in what many history, many sports historians consider one of the greatest games in the history and history of pro sports that no one talks about. During the 60s, there was George quarterback George Blanda and Willard Duvall and Charlie Hennigan and Heisman Trophy winner from LSU named Billy Cannon. Also. 
The Oilers had a fullback named Charlie Tolar, nicknamed the Human Bowling Ball, and he was the beginning of great power running backs that the Oilers would feature through the life of the franchise. And to add to that, off the field, he was a real-life Oiler. During the offseason, Tolar, a 5'5", 210-pound fullback, was an Oilwell firefighter who worked for noted Oilwell firefighter Red Adair. By the mid-1960s, when the AFL teams were moving out of old, dilapidated ballparks and glorified high school fields, the Oilers were no different. Playing their home games at Jefferson Stadium and at Rice Stadium, then the Oilers moved to the 8th wonder of the world, the Houston Astrodome, where they would play until their relocation in 1997. The Oilers would eventually leave the AFL and merge with the NFL in 1970 after several losing seasons. In the early 70s, things began to change for the better when they hired former Chargers head coach Sid Gilman for one season in 1974. For those who don't know, Sid Gilman was one of the great pioneers of the pro passing game in the NFL that you still see today. I would say all the time, if pass, offensive passing philosophy was a religion, then Sid Gilman was Billy Graham. In 1975, Gilman retired and was replaced by the defensive coordinator named O.A. Bum Phillips, who would go on to become the greatest and most recognizable coaches in franchise history. With his unmistakable Texas drawl and 10-gallon hat, the excitable coach guided the Oilers to their most successful period during their time in Texas. He coached the Oilers from 1975 through 1980, winning 90 games and leading them to the postseason in 1978, 1979, and 1980. And those Oilers teams captivated the city of Houston like no other. With players like Dan Pastorini and receivers Kenny Burrow and Billy White Shoes Johnson and defensive stars Elvin Bethea and Vernon Perry, overnight the Oilers became an NFL elite team. And, the night, and that night was Monday, November 20th, 1978 perhaps the most memorable game in franchise history. The Oilers were playing the Miami Dolphins in a sold-out Astrodome. The star of the show was a rookie running back from Texas named Earl Campbell, who still to this day is the franchise's best player. After scoring three touchdowns early in the game, the signature moment happened late when Houston led 28-23 when Campbell did this. On second and eight. One yards later, after outrunning Dolphin defensive back Curtis Johnson, who had the largest afro in NFL history, the Oilers announced their arrival as an NFL power, eventually winning 35-30 in what Monday Night Football announcer, who you just heard there, Frank Gifford, along with Howard Cosell, repeat, say repeatedly, this was the most exciting game he had ever been a part of. 
and he played in a 1958 NFL title game between the Colts and the Giants at Yankee Stadium. However, the Col the Oilers actually are also remembered just as much for the games they lost in the postseason. Most memorably, the 1979 AFC Championship game between the Oilers and the Steelers, where a pass from Dan Pastorini to receiver Mike Renfro was called incomplete, but after further review, on instant replay, Renfro actually caught the ball inbounds and had control, but the official missed the call. This play had been long used as an example of the use of instant replay which came to the NFL nearly a decade after the infamous Mike Renfro play. Then there was the day of January 3rd, 1993 where the Oilers were facing an injury-plagued Buffalo Bills team in upstate New York. The Oilers, led by Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon, led Houston to a 35-3 lead early in the third. Then you, should, you could say the wheels fell off? In the greatest comeback in NFL postseason history, the Bills rallied, beh rallied behind backup quarterback Frank Wright and defeated the Oilers 41 to 38 in overtime. But on a more positive note, the Oilers were an original AFL franchise, but also the Oilers were an original. Period. They had flamboyant coaches like Bum Phillips and Jerry Glanville, who famously left tickets at the Astrodome will call window for Elvis. And just as famously said, this is the NFL, which stands for not for long. Then there was also Jack Pardee, and who could forget the time that Buddy Ryan got in a fist fight with Coach Kevin Gilbride on a Sunday night game in the Astrodome against the Jets on the Oilers' sidelines. Then there was the great players that go back decades such as Hall of Famers Ken Houston and Bruce Matthews and the aforementioned Warren Moon. There are other players that placed the city of Houston on the pro sports map such as Jerry Levias and Pete Beathard and Hoyle Granger. There was Mike Renfro and Bum Phillips' pizza parties for the players and the famous Arlen pep rallies that were in the Astrodome for playoff games. There was the run and shoot offense and the House of Pain and Chris Dishman and Drew Hill and Ernest Givens and Hayward Jeffries. The Oilers is and will always be a significant chapter in, this, in the history of the NFL, but still more important, an important chapter of the city of Houston. And that will do it for this edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. And if you please, 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 if you have not done so already, please subscribe wherever you hear this podcast. It helps me out tremendously. Also, if you want to drop us a line, you could do so at historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com. Or you could check us out on Twitter or X, whichever you prefer, at historicallysp2. And please remember, don't keep this great podcast a secret. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell your neighbor, hell, tell a passerby on the street if you think they like sports history. This episode comes to you from the Bill King Memorial Studios in the sports wing of TM4 Enterprises located in scenic suburban Atlanta in the shadow of Stone Mountain. And until next time, stay cool and stay blessed.
Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.